could ever imagine, but love us enough to allow us the freedom to have fun while worshiping you. be who you created us to be even when it doesn't seem like we can Lord I pray that whatever storm is raging in our lives, whatever craziness is going on, that you would give us peace, that you would give us joy, that we would be able to hear your voice through it all and know that you love and care for us deeply more deeply than we could ever know. Lord, I pray for those who are sick this morning, who couldn't be here for whatever reason. Lord, I pray I pray that you would heal them, whether it be by miracle or medicine, Lord. I pray for those in our community who are hurting right now. Lord, yesterday I heard the sirens for the fire And I heard about the devastation. I pray for your hand on their lives. That we would be the church, a sacrament to this community, utterly changing it for you, Lord, no matter what goes on. So again, I pray this morning that we would hear you in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Thank you, worship team. Shout out to uh, big guy in the back, right? From his daughter. That was funny. My summer hair. Your summer hair. <laughs> well, we certainly hope that you enjoy Cabin Fever Sunday. Um, if it puts a smile on your face, then uh, that's great because God would want you to smile every day, uh, especially the, the middle of the winter. So we, uh, we thank you for for coming on Cabin Fever Sunday. We're having a summer-style barbecue after. Um, if you weren't able to bring food, don't worry. There's plenty of food, hot dogs, hamburgers, salads, cookies, all the stuff you'd expect in July. <laughs> but um, we just hope you have fun today with that. Just a few things that are going on. I have my notes 
And uh, Franklin mentioned them last week that I actually did leave these for him. But, um, but I didn't leave him a note saying I left him the note. So uh, I don't know. I, I get lost with that. But anyway, um, too funny. We do have a few, a few things coming up uh, this Wednesday. If you uh, are interested, we have men's and ladies Bible study here at the church, 630. Um, great studies. Um, so we just encourage you, if you're able, to come and enjoy that and participate uh, in that. Uh, the ladies are also having a breakfast on the 25th. Is that this coming Saturday? It is. Next Saturday, this coming, um, 10 a.m. here at the church, ladies' breakfast. Bring food. Um, bacon's already taken. But uh, there is a sign-up sheet just outside the door on the left. There's a clipboard. So uh, ladies, if you'd like to uh, participate in that, uh, like Franklin said last week, men, stay home. <laughs> have your own bacon, right? Um, but the first, the first Saturday of each month, the men do have a breakfast here at the church, uh, unless canceled by weather or COVID, <laughs> as, as, as sometimes happens. So um, those are the main things that are coming up. We do start the Lent season is beginning this Wednesday. So, uh, so we're already, you know, this, the countdown towards spring, the countdown towards Easter. So that's, uh, that's always great. And as always, we thank you for your tithes and offerings. Um, it just helps us do what we do here for the glory of God. So we thank you for that. We thank uh, also the families that we support that are overseas missionaries. And if you'd like to support them, you could do that as well. Uh, we appreciate that. Um, Katie is going to bring the scripture reading. Oh, there you are. You blended in with all the floral. Good morning. I am reading from Genesis 2, 18 through 22. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. Ready to go swimming. <laughs> I was going to wear it like this, but that would get too distracting for me. And Jim, I caught on to your deception. This is, in fact, page one. This is, in fact, page two. And I took out the extra page that you put in there. <laughs> yeah, the blank sheet of paper. <laughs> oh, man. Well, good morning. <laughs> Happy uh, Cabin Fever Sunday. Uh, this morning... Okay, this is also a distraction. Um, <laughs> but these aren't. <laughs> um, <laughs> too much fun this morning. Too much fun. Uh, never such a thing. Um, this morning, we're talking about isolation. It's Cabin Fever Sunday. So we're going to talk about cabin fever, being isolated, being stuck inside, being isolated. But not in the way that we normally think. Not in what some of us may think as a diagnosable psychological condition, cabin fever. Although I did look it up, it's not actually like listed anywhere as a psychological issue. Uh, they did list like that cabin fever is usually comes with like depression and all this other stuff, and it's like, oh, okay, so it's other things. Uh, it's like the um, the winter's cocktail of things uh, that you can have wrong with you. Um, but cabin fever, we know, is being isolated. I know when I think of cabin fever, I think of 
like a 19th century adventure in the wilderness of Alaska, coming across a cabin in the middle of nowhere as a storm is bearing down on him and he's stuck there until summer. Um, but that's not what we're going to be talking about this morning. Although it feels like that, especially with the, the crazy weather lately, like the warm and then the cold and then uh, the cold and then the warm and then it's like, okay, I guess we're stuck inside. No, no, we're stuck inside. Um, But there are also times in our lives when we end up being isolated, not physically, but spiritually. When we get what I'm going to coin as spiritual cabin fever. Instead of physically being isolated, this spiritual cabin fever is when we're spiritually isolated. Go figure. When we don't just isolate ourselves physically, but we often isolate ourselves from God. We try and shut him out for so many reasons. Maybe it's because we're upset or sad about something. Maybe we're just tired and feel like getting away from everyone and everything, including God. But unfortunately, when our cabin fever is so bad, we try to isolate ourselves from God, we end up not being in a great place. We end up being in the wilderness, spiritually speaking, hiding from a storm. We hold up in our little spiritual cabins, hiding from God, often hiding from our God community, the church, And are usually simultaneously upset because we feel that we've been abandoned by God and the church and also don't want to see or talk to God or our church family. I think spiritual cabin fever, although called a myriad of other things, is becoming unfortunately more and more common. It's not a new phenomenon, but with COVID, with just the world going in the direction that it is, we feel isolated. We feel like we want to be isolated. We won't want to deal with everything that's going on. And often, it feels like, as Christians, that just makes it 10 times worse. And I don't think this has a simple fix. And nothing I say today will change that, unfortunately. But I think we can learn to recognize and combat spiritual cabin fever, this isolation that makes us feel like there is no solution or options in our lives. We feel trapped, the storm raging just outside the window and nowhere to go. not knowing or acknowledging that the storm raging outside that window is nothing next to the power of God. And often, instead of following God's lead, we stay isolated, not listening to anything anyone has to say. And all we listen to in our isolation is the howling wind. that really ends up being our own fears and hurts. This morning we're going to read about two prophets, Elijah and Jonah, and how they handled three different kinds of isolation. Self-imposed isolation, God-imposed isolation, and self-destructive isolation. We'll start with God-imposed isolation and the prophet Elijah. And we're going to start with the man that he was afraid of, not God, Elijah, Ahab, in 1 Kings 16, 30-33. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. 
And as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbal of the Sidonians, and he began to bow down in worship of Baal. First, Ahab built a temple and an altar for Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the kings of Israel before him. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the kings of Israel, especially up to this point. There's only like three or four names that have like good associations with them. The rest of them tend to be known as not the greatest people. And Ahab here is listed as being the worst of the worst. And on top of being just the absolute worst, he marries a woman who in our context, her name is known for being just a horrible woman. Jezebel. If you call someone a Jezebel, they're just horrible. <laughs> There's no two ways about it. Now, we set the stage that Elijah is standing in. Let's see what happens when Elijah enters this scene, this worst king in history. Now, and this is 1 Kings 17, 1 through 9. Now Elijah, who is from Tishba in Galilee, in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the east and hide by the Kareth brook, near where it enters the Jordan River. Drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. So Elijah did as the Lord told him, and camped beside the Kareth brook, east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat each morning and evening, and he drank from the brook. But after a while the brook dried up, for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go to the Go and live in the village of Zarephath, near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Here we have Elijah standing up to the baddest king Israel has ever seen. And then he immediately goes into isolation upon God's request. This God imposed isolation. You do as God says, you follow his instructions, in the end, he ends up taking care of you. It may not look like you expect. I'm sure when Elijah first got the word that he needed to go into isolation, he was not expecting crows to be feeding him. <laughs> and he probably thought when God told him, hey, crows are going to come and feed you, he was like, that's got to be a metaphor for something, right? Nope. Crow showed up with meat and bread. Okay. <laughs> he ends up taking care of you. In this case, keeping Elijah away from harm that would have come his way. He just told the worst king of all who worshipped Baal, who happened to be the Canaanite king or god of rain, that, hey, my god said no rain. <laughs> Which means he's directly going up against who Ahab and Jezebel believed in. So God kept Elijah from harm's way. Elijah goes into isolation for who knows how long by himself eating meat and bread that ravens leave him twice a day, and drinking from a stream that he was led to. Sometimes, like with Elijah, God will have a step away. 
and we'll need to isolate and recharge. We have to remember, though, that when God calls us into isolation, he will end up calling us out. We see Elijah get called out of the isolation and move into a small community where he could continue his ministry that God had for him. There's so much going on in this world and so many of us are burnt out from everything. How many of us are listening for God's voice and close enough that we could hear him call us out of the situation, to call us out of where we're at, to send us to our own river, to feed us miraculously or do something miraculous to protect us, to keep us away from it. I'm not saying he will do that in every situation, but we have to be listening for when God does this because it's not going to be easy. It wasn't easy for Elijah to go to Ahab and say, hey, by the way, your God's dumb and my God said this. No, it wasn't. But God protected him when he did it. He listened to God and followed and went into this God-imposed isolation. And this is the only good isolation that we're going to talk about this morning. But the thing is, is when you read the story carefully, you see that Elijah listened at every step. He was intentively listening for God at every moment. Take the time to just sit and be with God and be fed by what God has provided to you, even if it shows up in the mouth of a raven. And if you're feeling hemmed in or getting a little stir-crazy, know that God has you where you are for a reason. And if you just listen to him and follow his voice, everything will turn out better than you could have imagined. God can and will call you out of it, and you won't be stuck in this cabin forever. Just long enough to get you to the point where God needs you to be before moving on. Now, we come to self-imposed isolation and self-destructive isolation. We come to Elijah again for the self-imposed isolation. Elijah, after having this God-imposed isolation, falls into the trap of self-imposed isolation. He spends three years with this woman and her son doing miraculous things. And then God calls him to confront Ahab one more time. To stand in front of him and say, hey, just so you know, you're the king of Israel and the great I am is the God of Israel. Not this Baal. So, let's have a test. A competition. Get, I forget how many, I think it's 50 or 500, it, it, it's one of those, of, of your priests of Baal and come and, and, and give them a sacrifice. Have your altar, do whatever you need to do and, and, and come and, and have fire burn up and then I'll know that this Baal that you're worshiping is the real deal. We can go about our way. But if not, my God, the God of Israel, is going to come and burn up the sacrifice. And you will know that he is the God of Israel. So, this happens. All of Israel is gathered to watch this, this spectacle. And the Baal worshippers spend basically all day trying to get God, their God to, their false God, to, to, to burn up this, this, this offering. They end up doing crazy things. They do bloodletting and, and crazy things. And all the while, Elijah's standing there making fun of them. Hey, maybe your God's on the toilet. <laughs> maybe, he can't, maybe he's sleeping. 
Nothing. So then it comes to Elijah's turn. And then Elijah's like, you know what? I think this is too easy. Let's soak the wood. Let's soak it so much that there's water in a ring around the altar. And that the meat and the wood is all soaked. Okay? So he does this. And then, after the Baal worshippers spend all day, or most of it, trying to get Baal to do anything, Elijah says one prayer, and boom! The entire altar, the stones, the water, gone. Consumed by the fire that comes after one prayer. Now, you may wonder what this has to do with isolation. It gives us an idea of what Elijah has just seen. What he has just been the conduit for. And we come back to the story in 1 Kings 19, 1-14. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done including the way, oh, by the way, they killed all the prophets of Baal, uh, as they should have, um, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. We're going to pause here for a second. You notice the difference with this one? Before, God told Elijah, go, tell Ahab this, and then leave, run, go and hide. This one, God tells him, hey, go do this, and that's, that's where it is. And now we're seeing Elijah, after literally seeing God have fire come out of the sky, burn up stones, he's afraid of a woman being upset because she worships a false god. So Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and left his servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I am no better than the ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. There he came to a cave where he spent the night. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Hmm. God's asking, where, Why is Elijah here? Usually when God asks questions, it means you're not in the right place. We see this a couple times. Uh, Katie read from Genesis 2, but in Genesis 3, God asks Adam and Eve, where are you guys? I can't find you. You're not where I expect you to be. And here, 
He's asking Elijah basically the same thing. What are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told me. He told him. <laughs> this, this is heavy. This is similar um, at the, to the end of Job, where Job has a conversation with God, and at the end, God says, pull yourself up and stand before me like a man. <laughs> This is similar to that. Go out and stand before me on the mountain. Come out and talk to me for real. You want to accuse me. Accuse God of these things. And Elijah stood there. The Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. He heard God's voice and went to him. God comes to Elijah and asks him, what is he doing? We know what he's doing. He's hiding. He's isolating himself. Clearly afraid of Jezebel and Ahab and what they might do to him. But God didn't command him to hide. Elijah just did it, afraid of what might happen to him, despite the power of God that God had just displayed. Sometimes it isn't about what we see or know. Sometimes it's about how we feel, isn't it? Elijah clearly knew that God had the power to do whatever he wanted to protect him, to rain down fire from heaven. But he felt scared. Scared for his life and the lives of those that were close to him. So he ran and isolated himself. He went to find his cabin and hide in it. Okay, then. Elijah's cabin was a cave in the side of Mount Sinai. But what does it look like when you isolate from God? Like Elijah did. What cabin do you retreat to just to get away and hide from the world around you? To hide from what God has for you next? Think about the excuses we come up with when we want to isolate ourselves from everyone and everything around us. Look at the excuses that Elijah just made. They're going to kill me, God. I feared for my life. There's no one left except for me. That's weird. Didn't, like, all of Israel see that thing happen and then at your command, kill all the, the worshipers of Baal? I feel like there's a handful of people who are behind you on this, Elijah. But no, he was coming up with excuses. When life gets to be too much, when everything is crashing in and we don't know what to do, we end up hiding away from everyone and everything in a place we hope will keep out the storm. 
And sometimes, because of the circumstances, we hope we are so isolated that God won't even be able to find us. This type of isolation is so detrimental to our walk with God. It hides us away from our church family, keeping us from trying to, to help and pull through, keeping us from helping those who are isolated. It also keeps you who are isolating from seeing your church family, from having them around you, from having them be able to help you. Maybe even to talk some sense. Or even just to sit with us so we won't be alone with whatever, we're go- whatever is going on with us. When Elijah isolates himself, he makes up a story of being the only one left following God and that all of Israel has turned away. Not only is this statement just wrong, as demonstrated by the story before, a few verses earlier, but it seems Elijah thinks God doesn't care about him. He's the last one left. God doesn't care. He's let them all, all the rest die. Might as well let Elijah die. When you're stuck in the cabin of isolation, you often end up seeing the world through a skewed lens, not for how it truly is. If left unchecked, this isolation can destroy us. It can take us and leave us in a bad enough place that we never get back because everything seems like a trap trying to drag us into the storm that will destroy us. Paranoia takes a hold. And even when summer has come, all we can think about is the storm. And then if we step outside, it's going to come. It's going to consume us. And there's nothing we'll be able to do about it. But Elijah doesn't succumb to that fear. He doesn't let it dictate everything he does. He still has an ear out for God's voice. He's still listening for God. And even though there's a storm raging all around him, Literally, in this example, with the wind, the earthquake, and the fire, he still ends up hearing God in a still, small voice. Probably not how he expected, but God is there. Quietly in his ear, somehow drowning out the crazy storm that's going on around him. We, like Elijah, need to be listening for God's voice no matter where we're at. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But if we attune our ears in the good times, when we isolate ourselves, we can still hear God's voice, even when the earthquake and the fire and the wind is pounding all around us. We hear God's voice pierce through. Now, we come to Jonah. Jonah's a different story. He doesn't listen to God. He, he's like one of those, those memes that were like, uh, that, they were like the stick figures that came out a few years ago. And they're like, this is Bob. Don't be like Bob. This is Jonah. Don't be like Jonah. He's a different story. He doesn't listen to God's voice through the storm. Instead, he decides to self-destructively isolate himself every step of the way. Jonah runs, tries to hide from God, and even tried to end his own life. But in the end, he still goes and does what God asks of him and preaches to the Ninevites, a people who he hates and reviles. And once he does, he goes again and isolates himself. 
being unhappy that God even saved them. He does what God says, but he isn't truly listening to what God is asking. Instead, doing everything he can to sabotage the will of God. And here's what Jonah says after the Ninevites are saved in Jonah 4, 1 through 3. This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. By the way, the change of plans was that the Ninevites were going to be destroyed by, like, hellfire from the sky. (laughs) He was upset that that didn't happen. Um, Like I said, don't be like Jonah. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? Oh, you think you're so good, God. You saved all those people. That is why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are merciful and a compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. I'm sorry. I didn't know those were bad things, Jonah. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. Number one, you didn't predict it, Jonah. God did. So get off your high horse there. Jonah sits on the side of a hill away from all the people that he just had a hand in saving, upset that they were even saved. He doesn't try to go home back to his people his God community, his church family, as it were. Instead, Jonah allows his isolation not to be guided by God. He doesn't sit there listening for God's voice, but instead he argues with God, blaming him that he's not a mass murderer. And he isolates himself. And that's how the story ends. Not in those verses specifically, but not long after that. Jonah's just sitting there, having his little pity party, upset that God is God. He's been stuck in his cabin, hiding from the storm that doesn't even exist. And mad at God for doing exactly what he said he would do. It sounds silly, especially with the extreme example of Jonah, but we can be the exact same way, can't we? Stubborn or upset with the way God is doing something and then isolating ourselves. I know, I've dealt with this. I've been pretty open, I think, with the fact that uh, becoming a pastor was not my plan. Uh, I had a pretty cushy job as a programmer, and God was like, guess what? <laughs> pastor time. And I'm like, great, great. <laughs> and I have to be honest, there's been times along that journey where I've been not happy with God and I've wanted to isolate myself and pull away. God, why are you doing this? Why are you doing exactly what you said? You've taken care of me every step of the way, but this is not what I wanted for me. This is not how I wanted my life to go. This is not what I expected. And then we go off and do our own thing. Isolated from God, from our church. Not listening, not even looking for a way out of that isolation. And being upset that we're isolated. (laughs) It's self-imposed, it's self-destructive. But it's there.
So how do we deal with this? Just like Katie read in Genesis, it's not good for man to be alone. When you isolate yourself from God and your church like Jonah did, it ends up hurting you so much more in the end. And when we listen to God, when we don't listen to God, that cabin ends up being a prison, trapping us inside. We hear our own voice repeated over and over and over again, just like Jonah did. You did exactly what I expected you to do, God. Instead of isolating yourself, instead of hiding away, instead of being upset, and I know it's not easy, it's not easy, Take that time to listen for God's voice. You can get so far in being isolated, but if you're still listening for God, there is a way out. If you're upset or angry at God, just listen. He will guide you out of it. It may not be the way you expect. And I think sometimes we so often get caught up in what we want that what God wants versus what we want separates us. And it causes us issues. We get upset, we get angry, not because of anything really God did, but because it's not what we want. But what God has for us is so much better than what we could ever want. I sit here today being so blessed in a way that I would never have been blessed if I had stayed in my job as a programmer. I'll call the worship team up. So what can we do when we feel like we're starting to isolate ourselves? Well, I think that's the first step. Recognizing that you're starting to isolate and trying to figure out why. We so often try to do things by ourselves. We so often don't see maybe the storm that's coming for us. Sometimes we do. And we're afraid of it. Maybe you need to listen for God's voice. And maybe he's going to ask you to step back. To isolate yourself a little bit. To pray and listen for his voice. To guide you for what's next. But also recognize that maybe isolation isn't what God wants for you right now. Maybe he doesn't want you hiding in your cabin. Maybe you need to reach out to someone who's close to you. Let them know what's going on. Maybe, maybe you've recognized that you're starting to slip away and they can help you come back into the fold. Maybe you're starting to realize that, you know, I'm not listening to God in the way that I was or should be. Your church family is here for you. we can be that person for you. One of us, anyway. There's enough of us. Instead of isolating ourselves, fellowshipping 
with your family, like today, with a meal. It's the easiest way to get have a conversation is over a meal, even if it's a hard one. Now, maybe there's some of us who aren't feeling isolated or have already learned how to deal with their own isolation in a healthy way. Make sure you are there for those who need it. When someone reaches out, be there. How can we call ourselves a church if we don't act like it? And if you're in the church and you see someone acting a little like Jonah, don't be afraid to give them a little spiritual slap across the face and be like, stop being dumb. Spiritual, not physical. I don't condone violence. Usually. Sometimes. But seriously, don't be afraid of being a little proactive and reaching out when you see someone isolating themselves. When you see someone hiding from their church from their family, from God. Reach out and do something. Don't let whoever it might be just say, I'm fine, and continue to isolate themselves. That'll just feed into a false narrative that no one actually cares. Just like Elijah. Just like Jonah. Now, Invite them to dinner, Bible study, or church, or just to have a good time. Don't badger them, but also make sure that they know that they don't have to be alone. That you may not live in that cabin of isolation with them, but you're certainly going to visit If we as the church are going to combat isolation, then we have to be serious about being a community and not just talking about being a community. Again, that's why things like this meal today are important. To make space to be community together in an easy and inviting way that doesn't require that much. Just some time at the end of church and an empty stomach. as we go. Don't isolate yourself and give yourself a, a case of spiritual cabin fever. But instead, follow God's calling in your life. Say hi to your brothers and sisters in the church and be a part of this Christ community that God has put in your life no matter how hard it may be to take that step, no matter how much it terrifies you, no matter how isolated or how much cabin fever you might already have, take the step out into the storm. Just like Elijah. Go and face God. Go and face your church. And you'll hear the still, small voice cut through it all. And I promise it will end better than you ever expected. Please stand.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we, we would step out of our cabins of isolation. That we wouldn't fear the storm that rages outside because we know you are more powerful. And we would listen to your call out of it. Lord, I also pray that we would listen for your call if we do need to take a step back. If we do need to find that cabin in the woods and just relax and listen and be fed by you. Lord, whatever it may be, I pray, I pray that we would hear you and not cut ourselves off from the church or you, Lord. And I pray as we go today, we would remember that. I also pray for our meal. I pray for the fellowship that comes with it. And I pray that we would love each other and be the community that you have called us to be a Christ community, a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.